The 2022 ACB Virtual DC Leadership Meetings will be held Saturday, March 12th through Tuesday, March 15th. Registration is $20 for ACB members and $30 for non-members. ACB members were sent a discount code via email. If you are an ACB member and did not receive the discount code, please call the Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242. Registration closes March 9. Visit acb.org for more information or register at https slash slash tinyurl.com slash 2022-DC-Leadership-Meetings. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Celebration of Black History 2022. Tonight and for the next three weeks, we are going to be celebrating with special calls, and each one will be a little bit different. Just want to welcome you, and I'd like to share with you that our host this evening is the vivacious Sheila Young, and we also have the exciting, exciting Anthony Corona, who's streaming for us on ACB Media. So thank you to both of them. Sheila, would you begin with any specific instructions that you feel we need to have and also relative to our conduct this evening? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Um, Please remember that this call is being streamed and recorded for everyone's safety and security. So If you come in, you have to hit the got it button in order to be able to unmute. When Pam is ready for questions, you can raise your hand by Alt-Y on a PC. You can mute and unmute by Alt-A. On a Mac, it's option Y to raise your hand. Command shift A to mute and unmute. On your smart device, it's under more options to raise your hand and lower left to mute and unmute. And on a standard keypad, it is star nine for the letter Y to raise your hand and star six for the letter M to mute and unmute. There you go, Miss Pam. Thank you so very, very much. Well, to begin our celebration, we thought it would be a good idea to talk a little bit about the origins of Black History Month. How did it start? Where did it come from? And why do we continue to celebrate it today? It can be said that the story of Black History Month began in Chicago during the summer of 1915. An alumnus of the University of Chicago with many friends in the city, his name is Carter G. Woodson, traveled from Washington, D.C. to participate in a national celebration of the 50th anniversary of the emancipation Um, of slaves, and it was sponsored by the state of Illinois. Thousands of African Americans traveled from across the country to see exhibits highlighting the progress their people had made since the destruction of slavery. Awarded a doctorate from Harvard University three years earlier, Woodson joined the other exhibitors with a black history display. And despite being held at the Coliseum, the site of the 1912 Republican Convention, 
More than 12,000 people stood outside awaiting their turn to come in and see this marvelous historical display. Now, of course, my screen just ran away. It's back. Okay. Thank you. Despite being um, so crowded, everyone seemed to stand and they felt really inspired by what they were seeing. And so subsequent to that, an organization was formed to promote the scientific study of black life and history um, before Woodson ever left town. And that organization was originally called the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. Um, Woodson hoped that others would popularize, popularize this and start holding their own Black History Week celebrations where they could take a look at what was going on, show off the achievements of others. But pretty soon, this Black History Week got very, very popular, and it was happening all over the country. So pretty soon, it became a national observance. Now, it's interesting because Woodson chose February for reasons of tradition and reform. It's interesting that he liked February because there were two men born in February that he felt had been great influence to black people in America. One was Abraham Lincoln, whose birthday was on the 12th of February, and the other one was Frederick Douglass, whose birthday was on the 14th of February. So that's why originally it was celebrated during the second week of the month. Well, as you can see, it got more popular over time, and pretty soon school teachers were asking for information so that they could teach their children, and this group had to complete had to complete um, quite a few things to help make it just a wonderful time. Woodson died in uh, 1950, and believe it or not, he thought that the week would end. But sure enough, as history does, in 1970s, in the mid-70s, and since then, it became National Negro History Month, subsequently changing to National Black History Month. And presidents since the mid-70s, be they Democrat or Republican, always issued a proclamation encouraging us to, study, to continue to do this. You might say, well, what would Woodson say about this? Well, he, I think, would be impressed with the continued celebration, but I think he would smile at our honest efforts to make black history a field of study and that we're able to provide the public with thoughtful celebrations. So it's in that spirit that we have gathered this evening, and our focus tonight has to do with where have we been? Now, there are a lot of characters, a lot of people, a lot of men and women who have played pivotal roles, because let's remember that black history is American history, and it is also, to a degree, African history. Some have already asked me whether it should be black history or African-American history. The idea was to fuse two things, the history of black people in America, so primarily that would be since slavery, but to always remember that the, our history as African Americans didn't even begin on a slave ship. And so that's why you see the fusion. And interestingly enough, the organization 
that has been responsible and still continues to set the national theme went from using the word Negro to the using African-American itself. So it's called the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. So thank you for listening to that. I think it's just a way to set the tone. And now uh, we hope to hear from you tonight sharing um, questions that you may have or characters, heroes that mean a lot to you in the field of black history. I'm going to go last. So I'm just excited to have you here. And um, Sheila, if you could help me with some raised hands, who might be a first person who would like to share? And some of you, I may just call on you. Go ahead, please, Sheila. No hands yet. Tony, you may unmute. Well, this is DJ on Tony's phone. Thank you so much. Hey. This call. How you doing this evening? Um, and that's a wealth of information. Uh, my hero of several, but the number one hero that stands out for me is Jackie Robinson, whose mm. birthday was right before right before my birthday. His birthday was January 31st in the year 1919. He was born the same year as my biological dad was born. But his impact in my life for what he did in helping to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball uh, for what he had to go through and how he endured it paving the way for other such baseball players in yesteryear and leading up to today of not only African-American or uh, African-American descent or of black people, but for persons of the Latino uh, community, as well as others who are even uh, in the far reaches of the Far East, and Korean and what have you. Jackie Robinson paved the way for all of us, and he will always remain my hero. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I like that. Tony, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions? Well, this is not Tony. I'm, a, I, I'm DJ on Tony's phone, but you can find oh. a way to get an ask. Okay, well then, DJ. <laughs> okay, thank DJ. you. And, you know, yes. one of the things that fascinated me, and I wanted to know if you felt the same way, was when Jackie Robinson was going through those things, he was called names and people would throw things at him on the field, was the dignity, the way he maintained himself. And him being one of your heroes, how do you think he was able to withstand all that? First of all, it took a lot of courage. Mm. took a lot of courage for a white man such as Branch Rickey mm -hmm. to say I want a person who will be able to withstand all that's about to happen to him and not say a mumbling word like Jesus said they never said a mumbling word and not say a mumbling word he did that through it had to be through fortitude. Yes, even his teammates, uh, a lot of his teammates, had even formed uh, a, 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 a boycott mm -hmm. 
and not uh, wanting to show up and, and, and play for the Brooklyn Dodgers because of him. And it was one person who came to his defense, and that was Pee Wee Reese, a oh? farm boy from Kentucky. And he came to Jackie Robinson's defense, but I believe in my heart that it had to be a lot of courage, a lot of fortitude that for two years, two years, he would not, uh, he, he would promise that though he may be spat on, called out of his name, had things thrown at him, hadn't finite him. When the team was on the road, they couldn't stay in the same hotel as their white uh, uh, contemporaries. They had to go to a different spot. Mm -hmm. Yet and still through all of that, it was the fortitude. It was the courage. It was it, it was all that that he, he made the decision not to. Of course, he made up for it afterwards because when that was lifted, then you can... He, he, then uh, others were able to to um, feel the quote-unquote wrath of Jackie Robinson. But even through that, he still maintained his dignity because of who he was and because of who he represented. He was a mm. Georgia guy, a, 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 a boy born uh, to parents who were slaves. And he excelled not only in baseball, but he went out when his family migrated and went out to California. He starred. He was a letterman in uh, three different sports for UCLA in basketball and football and in track. So literally in three other sports, he lettered, he starred, he excelled. And he took that same mindset into uh, uh, going into baseball. So that is why to me, he's my hero because he uh, he um, encourages me to know that even today, when I am met with challenges because I may be different, come from somewhere else, maybe a different personality, I think back to you know not only what would Jesus do, but I think back to what did Jackie Robinson do, mm. and so that encourages me a lot. DJ, you answered the question that I was going to ask, but I just wanted to still ask it <laughs> because <laughs> the question then becomes, what what message do you think Jackie Robinson has for us today, particularly as people who are blind or for those who um, have other types of visual impairments? The one word that comes to mind is simple. If I had to do it in one word or less, it would be advocate, advocate, advocate. Mm. Because that's wow. what he did. Even when he got out of baseball and he went into uh, Chock Full of Nuts and, and ended up uh, 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 excelling there and forming his own business, becoming an exec there, it was all about advocate, advocate, advocate. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, DJ. You have set the party <laughs> off. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Thanks. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you.
You do not have any other hands raised at this time, Pam. Okay, okay. I know some folks are here because I did ask them and ask them to be prepared. So <laughs> if they don't um, raise their hands, I'll go ahead. Cache, you may unmute. Hello. Good Hi. evening. Good evening. Uh, it's been a wealth of information, uh, some great information also. Um, I think when I think about our history and where where we've been and where we are and where we look to go, I think one point that I want to do, because my heart is for the youth of this country, the youth in my community, the youth in this organization. So I'm going to share a little bit about uh, a young lady, Claudette Austin. She was born in 1939, and I think for the most part, most people, when they think about uh, the civil rights movement and the bus boycott, they think of automatically Rosa Parks because we know Rosa Parks uh, took us in a direction of action, but we fail to realize that before action takes place, there's so many things that happen prior, right? And so in that process, Claudette Austin was a 15-year-old Black female who was arrested coming home from school because she refused to give up her seat. And for me, um, I find that most impactful because a lot of times we find ourselves um, as youthful people or even when we're trying to get other people engaged in um, advocacy and activism, um, people naturally want to feel like they're not old enough. They may not have value because of their age. And we find with Claudette, it took a lot of willpower and discipline, self-discipline to um, look at what she was faced and decide that I have the power. I have I have a right to where I am and I have a right to stand up for what I feel is right. And so in that self-discipline, again, it takes a lot of courage, a lot of willpower to be able to make a decision and say, I'm gonna do something that is that I feel is right, but also that's gonna impact um, my community. And making a decision to not give up that seat, but put uh, our actions and our our request into a different set of motions. And we all know that that happened three months. And then three months later, Rosa Parks decided she was going to take that same stance. And so I'll leave that information with you. That's very interesting because what I'm hearing almost is that a young person led the way, you, you, you know, and, and, and certainly that isn't to minimize the contribution that Rosa Parks made, but it just points out the roles that can be played. Kesha, you used two words in there and um, more than once, and I liked both of them. One was um, power. And I think the other one more sounded like will. Could you say a little bit more when you think about that power piece? 
Can I say what now? And I, I missed Can you that. say some more? For example, what does that word power really mean to you in the way you're using it this evening? It's inner strength. It's mm. it, it's self identification. Like that I recognize within my own self that I I am embodied with the authority to make a choice. I am embodied with the power to make a decision um, to stand up for something, uh-huh. to make my voice be heard, to make a decision that what I believe I'm going to um, stand flat footed and say, I'm not moving. You know, it's that old proverb, I shall not be moved. Mm. <laughs> yes, that I am going to stand on the truths that I know that these are the rights that I feel like I have. And this mm-hmm. is what I I believe. I'm going to stand on it. Um, I'm going to persevere. You know, it takes a lot of perseverance, uh, perseverance to be able to endure harsh words, harsh treatments, being devalued, being de- demonized um, by actions and words from people who don't maybe look like us or feel like we val- feel like we are worthy or we are valued enough for simple human rights. Mm, mm. Do you, one of the things that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, there were consequences for her deciding to use that power and use that authority. Of course, we don't know, but what do you think might have been going through her mind about the consequences? Because wasn't she actually arrested? Did we lose Cache? <laughs> no, she's here. Okay. Nope, she just left. Nope. Cache, you're muted, dear. Does she have to hit got it again? No. Um, Hello. I think I'm having some. I can't. Yeah, I think you're having technical issues. Yeah, I can't even hear. Yes, we can hear you. We can hear you. Okay, well, maybe we can get her back in. All right. (laughs) To finish the conversation. Any other hands at this point? Yes. Kenny, you may unmute. Kenny, unmute. I always uh, raise my hand by accident. It's so noisy over here, I can't talk. Oh, okay. I was trying trying to get in, and and, um, it, it was just an accident. But real quick, before they turn the lawnmowers back on, I'd like to say that, you know, even, oh, I think it was in 1964, Martin Luther King came over here to Hawaii, hmm. and he met with a minister. And this is probably something a lot of people don't know. But he came over here to Hawaii, and he met with a minister over here. And the Hawaiian people were very oppressed people, too. Here comes the lawnmower. Um... But anyway, to make it short, is when he did, I think it was the Selma March in 1965, he was wearing a lady during that march that he received from a minister over here in Hawaii. Hmm. 
Thanks for sharing that. I didn't know about that situation, Hawaii. See, you learned something. Thank you. All right, Anthony, you may unmute. Well, hey, <clears throat> I was originally going to speak about Thurgood Marshall, and I hope someone does, but it occurred to me listening to DJ that one of my one of my heroes is definitely Mr. Sidney Poitier, and um, he was excuse actually me, Anthony, born before an you can, Excuse me, Anthony, before you continue, I think, is there anything we can do? There it went. We're okay. Go ahead now. Mm. I'm concerned about the background noise. Go ahead. What, what a lot of folks don't know is he was actually born an American citizen by accident. His family from the Bahamas was in Miami and he was born. So that gave him a leg up. Um, what would I love about, you know, we all know that he went to dinner and, and we all know that he, he was in the heat of the night to extremely poignant movies. Um, I mean, I think some folks would say he brought heat, whether it was night or day, but that's beside the point. Um, what I what I love about about his character is he didn't even want to be an actor. He started acting as a challenge. He went to Harlem to find his way at the time that Harlem Renaissance was full, uh, full steam ahead. And he was challenged by going to this acting program with some friends and was told, well, you know, as a black man, you know, you've only got two parts you're going to play. Uh, for your career. And he said, well, no, I can do better than this. We can do better than this. And he made his career out of making films that were not designated. You know, they were not uh, somewhere, of course, but he, he broke the mold by taking parts that were not written for black men and turning them into poignant pieces of work. He was an activist through and through his entire life. And so you know, I know as a Italian American uh, New Yorker, I'm thoroughly inspired. So um, that is my little contribution, and I do hope that someone along the way speaks about their good Marshall. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot for sharing that, Anthony. One of the um, questions that I would ask you about um, Sydney Portiers here again. I've I've been told, and I am aware that. Um, he got a lot of backlash. It wasn't as easy. Um, and there was a lot of uh, tension and times when he didn't get what he wanted. Just like the question that we asked DJ and Cachet, um, what do you think kept him going, kind of motivated him? I, I think, you know, Cachet's answer would definitely be the same answer here. I, I think in inner power. He was very intentional about everything he did. He was very intentional about the remarks that he made along the way, the the answers back to the folks that told him, you know, he was a rabble rouser, he wasn't worthy, all of the things that were said at the time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he was very, very intentional. And he had this inner strength, this inner power that just, it radiated and it inspired, you know, thousands, if not millions along the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think about with him is, is I think anybody who ever saw him do anything, he was an excellent actor, you, you know, by any standard. Absolutely. You know, and, and he put a lot of work into his craft once he decided beyond the challenge, actually, he enjoyed doing it and it was something that he was good at. You know, he studied. 
he took Shakespearean. He studied with some of the oh. big names in Hollywood. Um, you know, in the in the in the quest to present to the American people programming movies that were that were not highlighting black for black. They were highlighting folks that were strong, highlighting folks, you know, and he uh-huh. deliberately, that's why I say intentional, he deliberately went for roles that were not written for black men and told, mm-hmm. you know, the studio and told the folks, well, I'm Mr. Portier, I can make this. Mm-hmm. And he sure did. <laughs> mm. And am I correct, too, that he, too, was active in the civil rights movement? He and I think one of his partners was Harry Belafonte. Absolutely. They both were active. Yeah, I do believe that the, that the two of them met with Martin Luther King as well. I don't have that, that information mm-hmm. on what date and time and so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. I know that they met with him as well during, uh, during the uh, preparations for the march in Selma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So intentional for himself and intentional for others. Absolutely. Thank you. Do you think, what do you think his message might be for us today as people who are blind and those of us who are visually impaired? That's a good question. Um, I think he would say be intentional, be persistent, and get loud. (laughs) He'd say, you know, you've got the intentional down, blind folk, and persistence you're doing pretty good with, but get loud. Get real Mm. loud. Mm. <laughs> and then he would he would ask his his brother Harry to to start singing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that and introducing that humor, but that reality into it. I'm sure that that's encouraging as well. Sheila, anybody else? Yes, Cache is back. Oh, good. Cache, you can unmute. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm glad you're back. Welcome back. Can we pick up where we left off? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I pretty much, I thought I kind of ended it, but, you know, I do want to just round it up that okay. um, definitely uh, what I see most important is, again, her willpower, her courage, her dis- self-discipline to mm-hmm. keep, and I think what she would do um in this modern day time is and just encourage even young people to uh, to to pay attention to um the movements of the day pay attention to get involved in what is actually going on when it comes to human rights issues and allow their own personal uh strength to take precedence and rise up and mm. I, I love what uh, I love what Anthony said about Sidney Poitier. And one thing I, I love is about Sidney Poitier is that he was very particular in the roles that he took. I think that's what made him stand out. So he was very particular in the roles that he he took on. And if he saw uh, the next generation doing something that they shouldn't or that was putting. Um, putting black people in a in a different light when it comes to the entertainment business like everybody knows that uh, jamie fox adored sydney portier and he and at one point in his life he was just out there just going haywire Mm -hmm. and you know of course it took wise older men saying hey look pull him to the side You, you got you got to straighten up and he wouldn't listen and they took him to sydney portier because they knew that he adored that was that was Jamie Foxx's idol and he looked up to him and Sydney had a conversation with him say look you got to get it right if you want to make it in this business you got to get it right 
you got to represent us right. And I love that about him. Mm, interesting. You know, since his um, death, and as you know, when uh, someone dies, an actor, they start showing uh, a lot of their, their movies. And the one movie I forgot about, but I went to see it in the movies, was the one to Sir With Love. First of all, I love the theme song. Okay, and the second thing, the part he played was so unique. Do you have a, um, an Anthony, this is a question back to you too. Do you have a favorite movie by him, Cachet? You know, I, you know, I like the comedy. I actually like the one with him and Richard Pryor. Is it this? Which way is up? Is it, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love that one. Um, he can do comedy too. That's right. He can do comedy too, and so I, I just I love that one. Anthony, you got a favorite one? You know, I'm just going to throw the name out because I want to piggyback on something Cache had said, but um, okay. absolutely. I mean, In the Heat of the Night is, is just a gripping, incredible mm. piece of work. But speaking to to Cache, in the late 70s, I believe it possibly might have been the early 80s, but um, there was a movie which I happen to love, quite honestly, but um, Jack A. Brown. And, you know, Pam Greer. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, what an actress. <laughs> but... He he spoke about that movie often around that time um, because he wanted folks to know it's okay to present this side of who we are. It's okay mm -hmm. to show this, and this is strong, and this is a piece of our history that needs to be explored, you know. And at the time, a most of the movies of that vein were very stereotypical, typecasted type of movies, and Jackie Brown is one that kind of breaks that mold. Mm, interesting. Interesting, interesting. Thank you both. Thank you, Cache. That was very enlightening from both of you. Sheila, anyone else? No. Um, okay. Ray Razor had his hand raised and he lowered it. And he wants oh, there he is. Here he <laughs> is. There he is. All right. Ray, you may unmute. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. I can hear you. Okay, good evening. Yeah. Uh, uh, good evening. Good evening. I tell you, these computers are challenging. Uh, <laughs> for me, I got uh, a father and son um, for mm. me. Uh, the gentleman lost his, he was on the way uh, to take his wife, was pregnant. He was on his way to the hospital. This is in Pittsburgh. And his wife had the bay. Uh, as he was driving, he had his son with him, his wife, and she was pregnant, and and he had uh, uh, a hurt uh, in his eye. All of a sudden, it just exploded, and he went blind. Mm -hmm. uh, but just before he went blind, he was one of the first black men in Pittsburgh. He was a um, a chauffeur, and when he realized that when people started buying cars. You remember then they because uh, cars wasn't really um, uh, popular. People that had in place a pockets cars, so he bought a couple of buildings and turned them into garages. And hmm. so he had become one of the first uh, black businessmen in Pittsburgh. But his site, and his name was uh, his name was Paul Herbert Douglas. So he lost his site. Mm -hmm. uh, his son that was there with him that was young. Uh, his name was Paul Herbert. I mean, Paul Herbert. Um, Doug, I mean, Paul Herbert Douglas. He, uh, you know, 
was able to have the kind of funds to go to some of the best schools and all. So he ended up going to Pittsburgh uh, Pitt, and he became a track star. Mm -hmm. And he won a bronze medal in the Olympics in 1948. And this Mm -hmm. is the son, Herbert Douglas Jr. And next month, March the 9th, he will be 100 years old. And he he is the oldest living black medal holder uh, in the United States. He's the oldest. And he's the second oldest Olympian medal holder in the country. And he will hmm. be celebrating his 100th birthday. He lives in Philadelphia now. And he will be celebrating his 100th birthday. And he's one of, he was one of the first few blacks that became a corporate president and it was under um, uh, the the uh, people that sold Hennessy and all that. And they mm-hmm. still support him. As a matter of fact, the family that he, they're going to sponsor his 100th birthday uh, if the COVID works out. And, uh, and he wanted to honor his father. And I met him like uh, 2018. We was on a panel together speaking. And he wanted to meet me. So he came down to Washington and meet me. And he said, you know, I never realized that I was sort of ashamed of my father. And until he said that, it really just came to me. All the good I have done for others. Matter of fact, he had put together, he was one of the first people to uh, put together a a sports uh, program and and a a gala and invited uh, Mandela over and gave him Award mm. and he and he was friends with Bob Beeman and all that. And he had since invited me to Philadelphia to the Heinz Museum where he had his 95th birthday. He invited me and and my wife and uh, and that's a beautiful um, museum. And so anyway, uh, he said he realized that he was ashamed of his father when he was blind, and uh, he never did anything for his father. So he asked me to uh, help him put a foundation together. So two years ago, we put a foundation together called Douglas Razor Foundation. And what the foundation does, we give grants to blind people with guide dogs. And this was the other connection with me and him. His father in 1930 was the first black person to get a guide dog. Uh, and they and they have him in a book that that CNI wrote, and they sent a letter to CNI and sent it to the president, and they said we got this letter from this this black man that won a guide dog, and they say what should we do? They say well we give dogs to blind people, we don't look at their color, and he was mm-hmm. the first black person to get a a, a guide dog, and that's how me and men. His son, uh, Herbert, connected, and he said he wanted to do something for his father. So we have a foundation that we give grants to uh, blind people with guide dogs that want to start their own business because his father was a businessman. And that's one of the people, my heroes, that's dead, and his his uh, son is living. And we hope, uh, you know, next month on March the 9th, we can celebrate his uh hundredth birthday that we're going to be doing it in New York. 
Wow. So that, that, that's my. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but this is exciting. I mean, for me, this is like an aha moment because as much as I have studied black history, it never ceases to amaze me how much I don't know about what has happened in the lives of people. And tonight you brought something out that um, I had never heard the full story um, before. And it's interesting that you said a father and a son, because there was the history that's now making itself known and available even in um, the present. So yeah. this is interesting to me. Yeah. And um, the the just for sake of information, if someone were interested in this foundation, what is the name of it? It's uh, Douglas Razor Foundation. Foundation, that, okay. Uh huh. And you can just okay. go on the website. Yeah. And we work with Moses, Edward Moses, Bob Beeman, um, uh, John Carlos, all these folks I didn't met uh, through him that we mm. that we work with uh, now. Wow. Really, really exciting. And you just never know about, you know, about yeah. people's lives and what they have done. So this has really been nice to be able to share this with you all. Thank you. And for those, um, uh, Ray Razor is the, I, I still say it now, relatively new uh, elected president of the D.C. Council of the Blind. So thank you. I know you've got a busy schedule. So thank you so much for stopping by. Thank That's you. a great story. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Anybody right. else? Yes, Barbie, you may unmute. Hi, Barbie. Yes, hello, how are you? Good. Um, <laughs> um I'm not positive about what you what your question is. I think you said how to people advocate. Um But um, I can preference it by saying I had one of those Sidney Poitier type introduction to my husband's family, even though it wasn't set up that way. But that's what you could call it, because like I met my well, not my husband at that time and said I met him in September. And I went to Thanksgiving dinner with his family that November. And we hadn't really established whether we were a boyfriend or girlfriend or anything at that time. But um, upon that getting there, I was told, he told his family that I was his girlfriend. Um, my husband is white and we're at his family's house with all these people, but it didn't, I mean, it didn't phase me. It didn't, it wasn't like a big deal. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. um, I think because when I was raised, I was raised with so much love and understanding and, and told as much history about things that happened long time ago about slavery and this, as much as they could possibly tell me, my grandparents, my parents, everybody, right? And then my husband, he was born in Egypt and he lived all over the world and he went to school in Ghana. And, and so, and then, you know, we would go to like the 
Afghan embassy and all those sorts of things. And also, um, I found out through talking with his family that his family had slaves. Mm. But it was conversational that we could just sit down and talk to each other. I mean, his family and my entire family. And I come from a huge family. I'm talking really big family. Like one uncle had 13 kids, one uncle Mm -hmm. had 12. And my husband came from a relatively small family. Mm -hmm. But um, as as Cache was saying that about strength, it's kind of an innate thing. It's kind of something Mm -hmm. that you get when you're growing up from your parents because they're showing you that you have the right to be you, to be in this world, to exist, to do whatever you want to do. And don't feel ashamed about the color of your skin or any of that, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's just like when you lose your eyesight, you find out that you're still the person you are. You just don't have eyesight. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing with the color of your skin. You're mm-hmm. going to be who you are no matter what. You know, and you were born that way. So why be ashamed of it? You know, if I was to be born again, I would rather be born me, you know. So I just think. And I think also you have to take all your ancestry stuff with you because had not they gone through what they went through. And I. I feel so sad when I think about those things because they went through a lot that we don't even know about. We, we're we just starting to test the real truth of all that stuff. And that's so sad because, you know, unless you just keep learning, you know, you don't learn it in school the way you should. So yeah. it's so sad, you know. Yeah. So just honor them. And by going on about your life, because they they sacrificed, even though they didn't mean to. They didn't even know that was going to happen to them. Just like we didn't know what was going to happen to us, you know, and it's just so sad. Thank you. And it's hard to explain to people. Well, Barbie, you're doing a very, very good job because you raised a couple of things. One of the things for us as black people, a lot of our traditions and stories of what has happened in our families have been handed down orally. So there aren't necessarily books and things like that that we can go to, but we know the stories that we learned, and that's part of what we carry with us. And I really like what you said about we carry our ancestors with us. And out of that recognition of what they went through, I mean, we might read about it, but it was probably worse than that. And that we honor them even now by the lives that we live. So thank you so much for that. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Thank you. You're Anyone welcome. else, Ms. Sheila? Yes, Lynn. Lynn Cole, you may unmute. Oh, of course. <laughs> Um, well, you know, I have several people I could name as, as you know, heroes of mine. Bernice Johnson-Reagan from Sweet Honey in the Rock. They mm. did the best acapella music. I don't know if you know about them, Pam, but they are fantastic. Oh, they musicians. were in Washington when I was there. I know Sweet Honey yeah. in the Rock. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen them a few times um, in places I've lived. And, um, you know, I, I really love their music. I used to have their records. I don't have them anymore. I wish I did. But, you know, I've moved so many times and I don't have any of my records. But um, 
you know, uh, uh, I believe I believe I'll come down, go down where the end's going to be, and good news. And they just had the best harmonies. Mm-hmm. I love a cappella anyway, but mm-hmm. I really respect Bernice Johnson Reagan. She's been a civil rights person for a long, long time, mm-hmm. and very, very, very supportive of of uh, black issues, gay issues, you know, all these things, women's issues, mm-hmm. very, very much on women's issues. And I really respect her. And the other person I would name would be Fannie Lou Hamer, which who they wrote a song about. Because she was very interested in the voting and, and civil rights and stuff like that. So th- these are people that I have a great deal of respect for and have mm. done a lot for everybody, you know, yeah. um, and, and are role models in the black community, I think. Yeah, thank you so much. Len, I know you mentioned three people. What, could you just pick one of them and maybe think about what their message might be for us today as people who are blind and people who um, have low vision? I think, especially um, Bernice Johnson Reagan and Sweet Honey the Rock, who who were based in uh, Washington D.C. basically, mm-hmm. um, that their message would be, you know, universality. It's really about explaining the experience of of black women and, and really understanding that it's about women in general. It's it's about the struggles that women have. That that we still have a long way to go in terms of women's rights, um, respect for 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 each other you know, love for each other. And, and they also have a very um, faith-based um, music as well in terms of yeah. their faith. And I respect that. I respect that yeah. because it's so, um, I, I love the songs that they sing about their ancestors, you know, because we, because we, we stand on the shoulders of all these people. We do, That's you know, right. as right. people will stand on our shoulders. And, mm-hmm. you know, like my husband <laughs> would, would say, Sandy would say, you know, we're doing this stuff for people who haven't been born yet. And that's the way I feel. And, that's a good uh, you know, and I really Thanks. believe that. And, you know, like when uh, we were on the gratitude uh, uh, call and Tony lives in Alaska, and I said, oh, yeah, we made it, you know, we made it better for you. when We were there, you know, that's and, right. and, and that's really the way I feel. I think that a lot of these cultural icons, a lot of these um, uh, movie stars, we call them a lot of these cultural icons who are musicians, they're making it better. They're trying to educate the younger generation to make sure that things are better for the younger generation. That's what I think. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you. Thank you. Um, believe it or not, Sheila, am I correct? We're getting to that 10-minute mark? Yes, ma'am. Okay, thank you. What I like to do, because I wanted to share, um, well, first of all, was anybody else with, anybody else with a hand up? I there are no up. other hands. Okay. I wanted to share mine, and of course, mine changes every year and sometimes during the year. But the woman that I'd like to talk about, her name is Florence Price. Florence Price was a composer of classical music. She had studied with some of the great classical musicians in the world. She had taken lessons and done everything she was supposed to do. And while when conductors looked at her music, they said, this is fantastic. But they did not believe in having their orchestras play, these were generally orchestras in the big city, they didn't think that if they gave them music to play and it was a black composer, a white audience would not attend or certainly would not appreciate it. So she had all this talent. She had everything, but again, simply because of the color of her skin, that they couldn't get past that in order to let the shine, the light of this great woman, brilliant woman, her music was not played. Well, ultimately, her 
manuscripts um, were found in an upstairs room in a home of one of her relatives. This hasn't been that long. And it was brought to the attention of some of the great composers in the country. And I can speak specifically for the Philadelphia Orchestra that made a very, very big deal out of uh, displaying and premiering her music and the conductor had some words to say about what this music really was and how in her music you got a sense that she was telling her story. So it made me know that what you do today you may not see the fruits of it. You may not see it come alive. You may never see in your lifetime that dream happen. But to know that do what you do and do it well, and it may come to pass. So that gives me great hope that everything doesn't happen today, but that if we just keep on going, I still believe it's going to be all right. I think Florence um, Price would have a message for each of us today is whatever you do, do it well. Similar to what Martin Luther King said, if you're going to be a drum major, then be a good drum major so that what you produce and what you provide will be valued. But even with that, the most important thing is to remember that you are valued. So thank you very, very much for sharing this evening. Thank you for participating in the discussion. I learned a lot and I was encouraged. Now, what I want to do is just a couple of announcements. As you know, this is Black History Month and there are various events going on throughout our community. I have information on two of them and I'd just like to share it with you. On Thursday evening at 9 p.m. this Thursday, the Multicultural Affairs Committee um, will be presenting Building Foundation, Past, Present, and Future Contributions of African Americans in ACB. As I said, it's going to be at 9 p.m., one of our community calls, so I'm sure you can find the information in the calendar. By the way, that was 9 p.m. Eastern, and that should be a very interesting event. Also, on February 19th, at this point, the date, the time is 7 p.m., there's going to be a Black History Trivia. And I understand that they're going to be asking some questions and looking for some answers. And I believe this is a good time that will be had by all. And I'm sure that there are other things that are coming up. And as you hear about them, um, look forward to it and attend as you can, because that shows people that we're interested and we're supporting one another. So We'll be doing this again next week with a different theme. I don't have the final confirmations yet, so that's why I'm not announcing it. But again, each week for the month of February, we're going to do get together and talk about something we're going to learn here, perhaps have a guest speaker. And I hope that these conversations will foster understanding and increase our caring for and support of each other. So having said that, thank you so very, very much for being here. See you next week and let's celebrate black history. Thank you to the vivacious Sheila. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and to the exciting Anthony. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you. Thank Wonderful. You. Thank you for your time and your service. Good night, everybody. Take care.